this scene, get everybody in the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, it's jam. Greetings and salutations, sports and wrestling fans all across the wide and wonderful internet, all you beautiful people out there. It's time for another glorious edition of the Man in the Arena podcast, your ace of Tennessee sports podcasting, your host, Michael Shibley, with you here. It's another beautiful day here in Knoxville, maybe a little tinge of fall in the air, which is good because by God, it is game week here in the SEC. My beloved Tennessee Vols are set to kick off against South Carolina this Saturday in Columbia. I cannot wait. So we are looking forward to that. We, of course, are going to talk all about the SEC in Tennessee and the vast majority of our college football coming up a little bit later this week as I've got special guest, my good buddy Trey Pack, with me. We're going to talk all about that. This episode, though, we're going to talk about everything else going on in the world of sports. So just hang in there with me. we got great stuff, of course, from the NFL. Also with all the injuries, my goodness, that happened over the weekend with that. So champions crowned in golf and cycling. Just some other great things we've got to talk about here on this action-packed and glorious episode of the Man in the Arena podcast as people have gotten into the arena and done some really, really good things. So we're looking forward to all of that, and I hope you guys are too. And of course, as always, hang in there with us on social media. You can check us out. Check out the Man in the Arena podcast on Facebook and Instagram. You can give us a like there. We always post updates when breaking news comes available that we miss here on the podcast. And, of course, got so many other things we can talk about on Twitter. You can just follow me personally on Twitter, Michael underscore Shibley. I'm right there. Sometimes it's about sports. Most of the time it's about sports and professional wrestling. There's some other stuff thrown in. You want to debate me on anything, as we say. Michael underscore Shibley on Twitter is the best way to do that. You present your side of the argument. I will present my side of the argument. We'll do this, of course, in the civilized manner that it always ends up happening there on social media. And, of course, wherever you listen to this fine podcast, whether it be Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Pocket Casts, wherever you hear it, please, of course, after you download, listen, give us those five-star reviews. That's how we keep this thing going. That's how it gets out into the ether and more people can hear about it. I would love you forever for every five-star review and comment we get on that. So, and any star review, the more people that review it, the more it gets out there. Of course, I would prefer a five-star review because I think I'm pretty awesome, so I hope you guys think I'm awesome too. So let's get right down to the nitty-gritty, and let's talk about, again, with the NFL, my goodness, there were some great games and great plays, but also a lot of players getting sent to the medical bay. My goodness, you have the list. It just sounds like a MASH unit at this point. I should just be playing the theme song to MASH over this, but again, I don't have the copyright information for that. So, But, I mean, you look at my beloved 49ers, who got off the schneid after losing a game... They probably should have won to the Cardinals, but that's just my opinion. They get back, of course, you can get healthy playing the Jets. At least your record can get healthy playing the Jets. However, they didn't get healthy on the field. They had already lost Kittle, uh, the tight end, for a little while due to some injuries. But Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas, two of their just anchors, especially Bosa, on that defensive line, they're gone. 
uh, torn ACLs, they're out for the season. Jimmy Garoppolo has a high ankle sprain, and you know those can be nagging for a long time. Mostert has a sprained MCL. So, I mean, it's just a mash unit for the 49ers. That's going to hurt. Saquon Barkley is gone for the Giants. Their best offensive weapon out with a torn ACL gone for the year. And of course, they lost to the Bears. The Bears 2-0, surprisingly, uh, which is interesting. We'll see where all of that goes. Meanwhile, the Carolina Panthers lose their best offensive weapon in Christian McCaffrey. He's out with a high ankle sprain, definitely for at least three games, maybe more. We'll see where that all goes. And then you've got Denver's new quarterback, Drew Locke, is out with an AC joint, and Cortland Sutlin is gone with an ACL. Devontae Adams with Green Bay, one of those weapons that Aaron Rodgers needs. He's out with a hamstring. You've got you know Tavon Young with the Baltimore Ravens out with a knee, and then you've got with the Seattle Seahawks, Marquise uh, Blair and Bruce Irvin, they're out for the season. So a lot of big-time players are gone, and we're not going to see them. But, of course, in the NFL, it's just next man up. You've got to have a contingency plan for some of these players. Now, again, when you lose, like, Saquon Barkley, you are going to be scrambling anyway. And, of course, the Niners, they've got to sign some defensive linemen. We'll see where all this goes. But, again, that didn't take away for some great action on the field. Of course, the game of the day was the Dallas Cowboys coming back versus the Falcons. They were down 20 points. They were down 15 points with five minutes left in the game. And, of course, this is Atlanta, so you know they're going to find some way to gag up this lead. I mean, you just flash back to Super Bowl 51, 28-3. The Dallas Cowboys coming all the way back. You can question them going for two, but that onside kick was a thing of beauty, even though I do have to question why the Falcons realized it was getting close to that 10-yard line. Why don't you just dive on it? Just dive on the ball. You're going to have to because if it does, the Cowboys can touch it. They can't touch it until it goes 10 yards. So it's just spinning. It was just sitting there spinning like a top, like a big watermelon top. Seemed like the way it was going, and no one touched it. But congratulations for the Cowboys. They went after it and got the win on the field goal at the end of the game and just tearing the heart out of Falcons fans everywhere, even though they should be used to it at this point. And it's okay. I'm a Tennessee fan, so I get it. You have things like that. You also had a great Sunday night game. You look at just a duel between the Seahawks and the Patriots going down right to the end. Uh, It was just amazing to see Wilson had five touchdowns there. Russell Wilson was just great for the Seahawks. He is just on fire. He's got, I think, nine touchdowns in the first two games of the season. And meanwhile, Cam Newton's looked very good for the Patriots so far. Uh, granted, he was stopped at the one-yard line as uh, right there at the end of the game, so the Seahawks did get the win, but another great Sunday night NFL game. You talk about one of the upsets you can see was the Raiders and the Saints dueling in the desert there in Las Vegas, opening up the beautiful new Allegiant Air Stadium there in the desert. The Raiders get the win over the Saints. Again, we'll see Drew Brees has not looked sparkling we should say here to open the season so we'll see where that all goes but the Raiders are surprising 2-0 to open the season so again a lot of great NFL action the Packers looking really good even with the injury to Devontae Adams they beat the Lions 42-21 which is just 
history at this point. The Tennessee Titans here in Nashville, they are up 33-30 to over the Jaguars, getting a win in the division and moving to 2-0. That was Tannehill's game. That was great. Four touchdowns and Goskowski's field goal. Again, he's making field goals. It took him, oh, I think he missed four last week until he finally got the game winner and then gets a big one here. And, of course, there's a lot of questions coming up when you look at teams like, oh, my goodness, the Chiefs, oh, they struggled against the Chargers. First of all, it was the Chargers' first game in their new stadium, which they share with the Rams. And, again, it's a division opponent, so some of these games are going to be tough in the division. I still think it's a weak division, but they're used to playing these guys a lot more because they play them twice every season. So the Chargers aren't going to back down. And the Chiefs tried to give it away where they lined up for that field goal in overtime. But uh, Butker, man, he hit a 53-yard field goal, but it was moved back five yards, I think, for a false start or a legal formation or something like that. So they had to move it back to 58. He hits the 58-yarder, but there was a timeout called. So on the third chance, he hits that 58-yard field goal. It was a thing of beauty. It was great. I just I would love to have a kicker like that all the time. So congratulations to the Chiefs for getting the win there. And of course, we move on to week three. We'll see how all of these injuries go. People asking about a lot of these injuries, I think much of it, to be perfectly honest, has to come down to the fact that there were no preseason games, so you didn't have a chance to kind of get your body ready for game action, even though I know a lot of the players don't play, of course, a full game in the preseason. They still have to get some work in and get a feel for the turf and everything. And, of course, the way the schedule has worked with the practice schedules as well. I think that's been kind of tough for a lot of these players, and I think that's where we see these injuries. Hopefully, this terrible injury bug that happened here on Week 2 doesn't progress, and we see more people getting injured and out for the season. But we'll just kind of see where it all ends up. One other bit of news for the NFL as the NFL has dropped some big fines, and they said they were going to do this. The coaches needing to wear their masks, and the Broncos' Vic Fangio and Seahawks' Pete Carroll and the 49ers' Kyle Shanahan were all fined $100,000, not just a $5,000 fine or anything, for refusing to wear their masks or not wearing them properly on Sunday. And in addition, the league fined each coach's team $250,000. So that's just a little over a million dollars in punishment after the league, again, sent a memo to all of these teams for reinforcing its requirement to wear coverings over their mouths and noses at all times. Of course, Bill Belichick, like, had it over his nose, but not over his mouth, which was weird and the opposite of the way you see a lot of people doing it. So, again, it's this weird balance because, again, you need to do it, and I know it's it's tough for a lot of these teams to do it, and again, it's weird because the way they do the testing, you would think it would be okay, but again, they're wanting to do it, and they're saying, hey, you got to wear masks, so you got to follow the rules, or else you're going to start paying money and probably going to get bigger, uh, bigger pay, especially when you look at, you have Gruden, who had COVID and apologized for violating the rules. And Sean Payton also had uh, COVID-19 as well. Luckily, they were both 
uh, asymptomatic, but they still had it. So you would think they would see the importance of it. So we'll see where all this ends up. Hopefully this is just a one-time thing and everybody realizes, hey, we need to be wearing masks. Everybody should be wearing masks. It's still out there. Over 200,000 Americans have died from this. So wear your damn masks, wash your damn hands. If you want to debate me on that, Michael underscore Shibley on Twitter. I have all the information. I will give you my argument. Meanwhile, we move on quickly just to college football. Just a brief rundown here. Of course, we'll talk more about this with my good buddy, Trey Pack, coming up later in the week. But you look, there was some good action in college football. Not the best action overall. You only had the one matchup between ranked teams with Louisville and Miami, with Miami just outscoring Louisville 47-34. You did have some fun games with Louisiana almost gagging, as Tennessee fans know how to do, against Georgia State, but they get the win over Georgia State in overtime. Marshall 2-0, getting a win over a ranked Appalachian State team. You've got teams like Pittsburgh, who are very blue-collar, moving to 2-0, even though they didn't look great against the Syracuse team. One of my favorite games of the week, though, was Navy coming back the the biggest, I think, margin uh, that Navy has ever come back for. Navy's got a long, storied history in college football. Coming back down 24 to nothing at the half and erasing all of it. And Navy, again, running that triple option, not big at coming back, but they were able to throw the ball, make some key plays in that game and make some key throws with a more throwing quarterback that they had in there and hit the field goal at the buzzer to get the win. So again, it's fun to have college football back, but my goodness, I cannot wait to get the SEC back this week, get some more sexy matchups. And of course, the Big Ten, they've got their schedule released. We'll talk more about that again as well with Trey Pack. So stay tuned for those great episodes that are coming that are going to totally reek of awesomeness. Like everything else we do here at the Man in the Arena podcast. We're going to get it all going. Let's run down some of the other things going on in the world of sports. You've got the NBA playoffs still chugging away. It's been great basketball here in the conference finals. You've got the Eastern Conference finals. Miami always finding a way to get down and coming back, except in game three. But Miami uh, has come back twice in the first two games, but they're still up two games to one over Boston. You've got game four happening on Wednesday. We'll have to see where that shakes out. Of course, Mike Wilbon there on PTI says whoever wins game four is going to win the series. We'll see how that shakes out. This game's either going to go six or seven, obviously, I think. It's been very competitive. Um, Of course, it looks like the Lakers have things in control out west. They're up 2-0 over the Denver Nuggets, though. They did have to fight really hard to win Game two, and congratulations, Anthony Davis hitting the buzzer beater there. What a great shot that he had to win that game, channeling his inner Kobe, as he said, shouting Kobe after he made it, which was just great. That was a great scene there as the Lakers, again, right now, when it comes to the best players out there, LeBron James and Anthony Davis are the two best players left in the playoffs, and they're both on the same team. So you've got to kind of favor the Lakers, especially after the complete choke job that the Denver Nuggets, I'm sorry, that the Denver Nuggets made the Los Angeles Clippers have. The Nuggets did force a lot of that, but I mean, the Clippers still should have won that series. So you have all of that. We'll see where it all ends up. It looks like, again, unless the Nuggets can turn things around, and I don't think they can, we'll see what happens here in game three coming up tonight as of this recording. I still think it's going to be the Lakers 
in the finals, and I don't know which one out of their Miami or Boston. Meanwhile, you move over to the Stanley Cup finals. It's all tied up at one to one. That's going to go. I said it's going to have the Tampa Bay Lightning winning in six. We'll see where it all goes. I believe I did have this. If you listen, I had the great, of course, hockey towns of Dallas and Tampa Bay in the finals. You always got to love, you know the NHL really has to be so excited when you've got two teams from the Sun Belt uh, in their finals, because especially playing up in Canada in the bubble that they've got up there. But hey, that's what they've got, and they've been great. Both teams have been great in the playoffs, so can't argue with them being there. Uh, just great hockey action. We'll see. If it goes late and goes into overtime, my goodness, that is pucker-up time. It's so fun to watch all of that. Just a couple of other winners, because we love celebrating winners first here on the Man in the Arena podcast when you talk about who wins and who loses. Bryson DeChambeau winning the U.S. Open, his first major championship He's under 30. It was You would think it would be a tough one because they were playing it at winged foot. The last time they played at winged foot, I think Ogilvy won it at plus five or something like that, where Mickelson gagged it on 18. So you had all that, but... And again, the U.S. Open, especially at winged foot, they play it with a rough. It's just almost unplayable to get it out of that rough. But Bryson DeChambeau just muscle-busted his way... Out of all of it, he just, you know, he added 40 pounds during the off time this season, and he just drove the ball so far that he was able just to hit short irons out of that rough, and he was the only one to finish under par. Six shots, six under par, nobody else under par, a great last round. He putted beautifully. It was amazing to see, and again, even this is why they always try to, when they put the U.S. Open at winged foot, people just don't expect scores like this. Because in 1974, the massacre of winged foot, the winning score was 7 over par. So that's part of it. But when he shoots a 367 in the final round, it's just amazing to see. So hats off to him. Matthew Wolf trying to be the first rookie to win the U.S. Open since Francis Wiemet, I think in 1913. So over 100 years ago with that. It was just great to see. And I think, again, uh, DeChambeau has a chance to win many majors. We'll see, again, how his kind of mad scientist way of going about things looks. But he is in really good company. He is only the third player to win the uh, NCAA championship, the U.S. Amateur, and the U.S. Open. The only other two people to do that, Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus. That's the list. That's it. So when you're on a list with those two guys, you're in pretty good company. So we'll see where all of that goes. I like his mad scientist way. I know it rubs some people the wrong way. But hey, you approach something new and you get an idea about it, give it a shot. And it seems to be working for him. So congratulations. He's got the U.S. Open trophy. So that's something a lot of people in golf aren't able, especially a lot of people commenting on the way he does things. A lot of them are not U.S. Open champions, at least once, let alone multiple times. So we'll see where all of that goes. Meanwhile, uh, one of the interesting things, not as talked about much this year, just because, again, with the way COVID went and pushed it back with COVID-19, but you did have the Tour de France. It ended this weekend 
It was won by uh, Tajay Progakar. Again, I apologize for butchering the name. He's the second youngest winner of the 117-year-old cycling event. As, again, France is kind of getting a second wave of COVID-19. This guy, the man, he is only 22 years old, getting the win on the eve of his 22nd birthday. So he's barely able to drink here in the U.S. Of course, in France, you can drink all you want at this point. But it was great to see. Again, you have... Oh, almost 3,500 kilometers of cycling, especially in just those brutal mountain stages where Lance Armstrong, of course, under the influence of drugs, was able just to dominate for all those years. But it was great to see. So congratulations to that gentleman. You always got to tip your hat to whoever wins the Tour de France, no matter if you are blood doping or not. That is one of the most grueling events you will see in the world when it comes to just pure athleticism. So congratulations to him. We'll see if he can win another one. You've got some really interesting stuff coming on out in the world, too, when it comes to NASCAR. Michael Jordan and Denny Hamblin are now going to start their own NASCAR uh, Cup car team. They're starting their own team, uh, and their first driver is Bubba Wallace, the only black driver you have in NASCAR. So, we'll see. And again, I'm really interested to see where this and Michael Jordan again has wanted to get into racing. He had had motorcycle racing team. It was not the best when it came to a lot of it. But again, trying to make these inroads, and you can see again having black people in ownership positions and general manager just in sports in different places in general will help with a lot of issues that you see out in that world. So we'll see where all of this goes. I'm excited to see it. And hopefully, again, hopefully they can be better than when Jordan was with the uh, motorcycle club racing. But I'm all for them trying. It's worth a shot. You got to take those shots every once in a while. Someone else taking a shot that you didn't really see, but I'm excited to see about it. It's the most excited you've seen anything as a coach at a historically black college or university since Eddie Robinson was at Grambling. And that's Deion Sanders, prime time, is going to be the next head football coach at Jackson State which is just going to be great to see. He's, of course, a Hall of Famer. I always loved primetime, especially when he played for my beloved 49ers back in the day, winning a Super Bowl there. But he's going to coach at Jackson State University. And, again, he said on his podcast, it's my desire to continue the story, tradition, and history of JSU and prayerfully being uh, bring more national attention recognition to the athletes the university the sonic boom of the south their band and hbcus in general so we're looking for all of that of course they had a big thing with a great entrance and all that stuff for Deion sanders so i'm really happy to see where it goes he's the offensive coordinator at trinity christian school in cedar hill texas so we'll see of course if he can get some good coaches around him I think that's going to be some really good things to look forward to. So I'm excited about that. And hopefully, again, I wish Deion Sanders all the best there at Jackson State. Again, they were 6-9 and nine overall with John Hendrick as their coach and 5-5 five and five in the SWAC uh, East last season. So we'll see. Their most recent winning season came in 2013. So, hey, give it a shot. I'm all for it. Meanwhile, you talk about controversy and not giving someone a shot. Again, it seems like I at least find something that just gets my blood boiling 
here in the world of sports every week. And this one, again, it's here in Tennessee, which upsets me as well. It happened in Nashville. A uh, Muslim Nash, uh, Nashville volleyball player was wearing a hijab, and she was disqualified for the match over uniform rules, which just infuriates me just in a lot of, a lot of ways. A referee disqualified Naja Akhil, a freshman at Valor College Prep from a match against Brentwood Academy for violation of a uniform rule. They're saying under this rule, uh, Akhil needs authorization from the state association to wear the hijab for religious reasons. They're like, you know, we, they come out and say, well, we immediately gave her the waiver once it was applied. Here's the issue. The hijab, especially at this point, it's 2020. A hijab is very common, at least in the lexicon of just everyday life. Maybe not in Nashville, even though Nashville's got a pretty big population at this point. You see it on TV, you see it everywhere. People wear hijabs. And you know it's for religious reasons. The fact that it even needs to be applied for something for that, when it's obviously worn for religious reasons is bubkiss to me at all. It's the same thing when a couple of years ago you had a referee, a wrestling referee, told a kid he couldn't wear, it was a black kid, and he couldn't wear a head wrap to hold in his dreadlocks because it violated some BS rule, again, talking about hair length, and he had to sit there and cut his dreadlocks which, again, I guarantee you, you're not going to have that problem with a white kid for a lot of things. So, again, which is just a blatantly racist thing. This is xenophobic, really, when it comes to it. It's like, are you kidding me? Especially because she's already worn the hijab for a game so far this season. So, it's just stupid. The TS, uh, here in Tennessee just needs to not even worry about that. If you see someone wearing a hijab, don't even have to worry about an exception. They're wearing the damn thing because she's sitting on the bench crying because she can't play because of her religious, which, again, is an issue that you don't see a lot of white Christian kids having to worry about. It's only these things that seem to come up, which are just racist and xenophobic when you make rulings like that. Again, you want to debate me on this? Michael underscore Shibley. But you better come prepared because I will come full barrel on you if you have a problem with this. So... And don't give me that rules or rule crap when it comes to things like that. So, anyway, on a happier note, it's professional wrestling. <laughs> again, thank you guys for tuning in. And again, stay tuned. Coming up later in the week, Trey Pax joining me as we're going to break down everything else going on in the world of college football, especially SEC action as Tennessee also takes on South Carolina. We're going to make our picks for the season. It's going to be great. The WWE has their Clash of the Champions coming up uh, so again it's it's interesting because again i'm like eh, i don't care the biggest news that happened last night on monday night raw was that retribution finally unmasked uh, you have mia yim mercedes martinez dominic dijakovic and dio madden who have all unmasked themselves these were just guys who were upset with the wwe even though they've all been in developmental for years but what do i know it's kind of it's interesting the way the storyline went almost nwo ish but it's just been neutered so i'm not that impressed with it honestly and then clash of the champions where every uh match is a championship match some good ones 
we'll see where it all goes. You've got of course the you've got an ambulance match with Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton where you have to incapacitate your opponent so much you can stuff him into an ambulance. You've got Roman Reigns now with the Universal Championship on the line against Jay Uso, uh, his relative. Of course, it's that family tree out there in the Samoas that The Rock is cousins with everybody too. So hey, why not? I don't know. Uh, you've got the women's titles on the line. Bailey defending against Nikki Cross. I don't see a change there. You've got Oscar versus Zelina Vega. I don't see that one changing hands. You've got the tag team matches, all that. It's just kind of eh, really. If there's any big title matches or anything, other moments, we'll talk about it next week here on this fine program. Meanwhile, the best wrestling going on, it's not even in AEW. And by the way, that parking lot brawl was phenomenal when it comes to the best friends versus Santana and Ortiz. That was a great match. One of the best TV matches I've seen in a long time that wasn't on pay-per-view. So you have that happening. But meanwhile, the G1 Climax has kicked off in Japan. New Japan Pro Wrestling always knows how to run a great round-robin tournament. The main events on A Block and B Block were just phenomenal. You had Kota Ibushi getting the win over Okada in the A block, and then you had Tetsuya Naito getting the win over Hiroshi Tanahashi. So, we'll see where it all goes. It's a long, grueling tournament. We'll talk more about that as the results come in, but night one for both A block and B block off to a phenomenal start. That is going to wrap up this glorious episode of the Man in the Arena podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and of course, like, subscribe, share. Give us those five-star reviews. I will love you forever. But until next time, we'll be back later in the week with Trey Pack. But until then, too sweet. Love you. See you soon. Bye.